If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. When I married my husband, he would say, why do you have to be doing something all the time? And I finally said to him, I'm an artist and I have to create. (laughs) Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafter stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. I'm your host, Susan Smith, coming to you from my long arm quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. And if you're not a quilter and those terms mean nothing to you, I'm basically doodling with a 50-pound pencil on a quilt surface, and I have needle and thread attached and going at very high speeds. So this week I've been doing some straight-line ruler work, and I've done a number of quilts for charity and comfort projects. But today I'm going to take a well-deserved coffee break to visit with Jill Terrio. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm The Will Half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now, back to Pins and Needles with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Even when quilting freehand, there are times when you need some simple marking. Perhaps you want to evenly space something in an area. In that case, my favorite tool is basic white school chalk. And I keep a handheld pencil sharpener near to my long arm machine too. And it just requires the wider opening and then your chalk will fit in it and you can sharpen it to a nice crisp point. Be sure though to not use the colored chalk as that is apt to leave a colored residue on your quilt. Just use the basic white school chalk. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. This helps me get a better microphone and enables me to keep bringing you these weekly episodes. Thank you so much for your support, and maybe take a moment now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Jill Terrio is here with me in the studio today. Um, Jill became a quilter after many years of garment sewing, and she has a ton of experience from making quilts to long-arm quilting them to pattern designing and all these interesting facets of her quilt making. Um, and recently in 2021, she had six of her quilts featured in QuiltCon. That is amazing. So let's start at the most recent, shall we, Jill? Hello, and tell us about your QuiltCon experience. Uh, it was good. I was really proud to be able to have my quilts hanging at QuiltCon. Um, the reason they were hanging there is because I'm connected with a man named Jim Tharp who has a collection of 13 quilts all made by the same mem- by members of his family 
and they date back to the slave era. So at least three or four of them were actually made by women who were in slavery. It's uh, an amazing collection. And when I met him, he asked me what I thought he should do with those quilts. And I said, well, I think I would probably make patterns out of them so other quilters could enjoy reproducing them. So that began a journey. Uh, I've been on it about four years of reproducing his quilts in patterns and offering them to other quilters for sale. Wow. So so where do you kind of start with that? Do you start by breaking the quilt down into blocks, sections? How do you begin to work out the process? Yeah, most of his quilts are block-based. A couple of them were a little tricky to find the block. And when I finally did, uh, it was like a light bulb went off. I said, oh, well, there it is. Whereas I thought that uh, a particular part of it, which was a star, was the block. But no, those were on the corners and made a star in the secondary design. Um, The second quilt I did was a hexagonal quilt. And so I started with the hexagonal log cabin on that one. And some of the ones that I have coming up, I just did a real simple Ohio star in red and white, which was fun. And then the next one is a little more complicated, and I'm going to have to either use paper foundation piecing or English paper piecing to construct the block the way they did in uh, the 1800s. So you're really bringing your skill to play here then in the sense that you've experimented with many methods of constructing a quilt over the years. Am I right? Yes. I like to say that the first one I did was foundation paper. The second one was hexagonal Y-seams. And the third one was basic nine patch. So it gives a variety of different skills that you can use to produce these quilts. Um, One of the amazing uh, facets that I find is that because these quilts were made in the 1800s, I just wonder how these women got those skills because a lot of them are really mathematically uh, intricate and um, they didn't have rotary cutters, things like we have. So it's amazing that they did quilts that were that intricate. And if some of them were living, perhaps in slavery, you wonder Mm -hmm. if they even had the reading and the mathematical and the literacy Mm -hmm. skills where, you know, or if it was pure art on their part. Yeah, I kind of conjecture that they may have received the patterns from their masters who asked them to make these quilts for them and gave them the patterns. I really doubt that they had the skills to do these on their own because they were not even able to read. So I think they had to get them from somewhere and then make them for themselves in addition to for their masters. It's just a guess, but seems like a possibility that kind of makes sense do you see do you see a theme in them in regards to fabric choices or color choices no there this particular collection is really varied there are a lot of items you could probably guess were clothing men's shirting um dresses floral dresses i don't see a lot of feed sacks in these quilts So I'm thinking they're mostly clothing items and um, not a lot of upholstery fabric. So I think it's just fabric and scraps that were squirreled away from um, either the master. And then as time went on and the quilts were into the early 1900s, 
my friend Jim does have a lot of stories about as a boy he went out and collected fabric for his grandmother's quilts from the ragman who would collect fabric to make paper and then he would give the young children scraps that they wanted to take back to their grandmothers to make quilts. Wow. What an amazing set of stories. I bet it's just fascinating to sit and listen to Jim and hear some of those details. It sure brings them to life. Yeah, it has been really fun um, because as he has brought his quilts into the public, it has afforded him the opportunity to remember these stories and he has written them down and has a book available on his website, the Hartsfield Family Slave Quilt Collection. And it's a very interesting historical book. Fantastic. I'll be sure to mention that and have a link to it in the show notes for anyone that's interested in following up on that. So Jill, what is your favorite part of designing those patterns? Oh, probably the math and the drawing. I'm attempting to learn to draw on Adobe, but right now I've always drawn on graph paper and just use pencil and the calculator. And for some silly reason, I really enjoy that process. (laughs) Yeah, I can't say you're all that common, Jill. Most of us avoid the math whenever possible. (laughs) And I really enjoy the fabric pull um, and imagining in my mind what it's going to look like. On these quilts, I try to make a reproduction that is as close to the original as possible. So I have to search out fabric that looks like the original. And then I go into one that is a contemporary innovative design. And that's where I really cut loose. And I imagine in my mind what it's going to look like with gradated fabric. And I like to use a lot of scraps. Um, So it looks completely different from the original pattern and that's probably my second most fun part. So am I following correctly then you you make a quilt that is as close to the original in in flavor and feel as you can and then you make another version of the quilt that is contemporary and up to date and with modern fabrics and colors yes? Yes that's right so I have two quilts from each pattern I have three from one because it was so much fun. I love that idea, and that in itself would make a fascinating display, just to see the difference that can be achieved with just varying the fabrics. Yeah, that. and that's that's what I want uh, modern quilters and nowadays quilters to see, is that these quilts have a certain look in their original form, but there's so much that can be done with the pattern in our nowadays fabrics. It's really exciting. I agree. So take us back a little further then. What are some of your origins in quilt making? What interested you in it? Or have you always sewn and made quilts? I started sewing when I was a child. I made Barbie doll quilt, uh, Barbie doll clothes. <laughs> and um, I just loved sitting alone in the sewing room and putting fabric together. I've always loved things that are exact. That's why I like math. There's only one answer. Um, And I started sewing garments early on as a junior high age person. And then I took a class uh, in the 70s for quilting and did a sampler quilt. And I just got hooked. I I loved every part of the process. So that has never stopped. It just amazes me how quilters enter the hobby or craft of quilting from all these different doors, if you will. 
but we all and like it just amazes me the variety of people who enjoy it some like you like the exactness and the math others like the artistry and the freedom to create but for all of us there is such beauty of expression i love that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just as an aside that's one of the things that i expressed to my partner jim was the fact that the women in slavery were able to use their God-given creativity to express themselves through this particular avenue and craft. And it may have been one of the only ways that they were able to do that, which is very sweet. I don't for a second compare my need for expression with theirs, but there are some parallels in that you know, in the modern world, we have stresses too. They're different. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. be time stresses. It can be financial stresses, any number of things. But so many quilter stories revolve around this creativity being a way to cope, to deal, to heal. So many wonderful stories. And obviously, this has gone on for centuries, the same healing mm-hmm. and um, revealing process. Okay, tell us the story of the play, The Quilters. Well, that's one of my favorite quilt stories. In 1998, I've lived in the Wenatchee Valley for 30 years. And in 1998, our North Central Washington Quilt Guild decided to do um, an event. And we called it the Song of Threads. It involved... Uh, numerous venues where quilts would be displayed. It involved our annual quilt show and it involved bringing a play to town. We have a pretty active theater group here in Wenatchee and so we got one of the local directors to agree to direct the play The Quilters. It was popular then and it's a fabulous play. And it's about women coming across the plains to go from the east to the west and how quilts were involved in their lives in that time. It is a 16-act play. There are 16 songs, and it is, uh, consists of a cast of seven women. So I decided that one of my life goals was to be in this play, and I auditioned. I had never acted. I do sing. I've sung in the church music ministry for years. And so I decided that I would audition not knowing anything about the theater community. They are a very tight-knit community who does not often let other people in. And so I got in by the skin of my teeth and a little connection. And the woman told me, okay, we're calling you back for a second audition. Sing your heart out. And so I did. And I got in and I was the only quilter on the cast. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, they did not know anything about the heart of a quilter, the construction of quilts, anything. And so it was fun because I got to kind of educate him about what quilting means in women's lives and how it carries us through our emotional times and our, like you said, our stresses and our ups and downs. And I remember at one point we were singing a song about betweens, the needles that we use to hand quilt with. And they're singing along and they didn't have any idea what they were singing about. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
do you know what a between is? And they all looked at me and said, nope. Between is so, a noun? <laughs> so I um, took the opportunity to educate them and tell them what that was and what we were actually singing about. And um, there were other things along the way that I got to talk about quilting. But the highlight of the whole thing for me, it was very... Um, uh, it, it wasn't stressful, but I probably lost 10 pounds doing it because there was a lot of practice late nights. And then the actual performing was super fun. But the best part for me was I got to design the finale quilt and each of the acts had a 36 inch square that was paraded across the stage. Um, it was a quilt block and that was the title of each of the acts. Like there was Road to California, um, Tree of Life, Rocky Road, a lot of different traditional quilt blocks. So I got to design both the 36 inch block and the 12 inch block that matched it that went into the finale quilt that was raised at the very end as a, you know, the big hoopla finale. And I had just purchased my quilting machine. So I was really a novice. I found a, a pattern I could put on it and I freehanded the blocks. Um, and I have that quilt to this day and it's really a treasure to me. It has, you know, as you know, so many memories that are stitched into it. And it was just a great experience. People say, oh, are you going to become an actress? I'm like, oh no, never. <laughs> I can totally see though how that is a pivotal point in your life something that you will look back to forever with fond memories yeah. that's so wonderful okay so you touched on your long arm quilting machine tell us more about that because I think this is a big part of your quilt making life and growth process too yes yes um in 1998 the only person who had a quilting machine in the greater Wenatchee Valley decided to upgrade hers and uh, sell her used one and I was at a crossroads. I was either going to go to college and get some kind of degree or buy this quilting machine. And my husband said, I think you should do what you love. So I bought the quilting machine. And I, I have never looked back. I love it. I had to teach myself how to use it because even though the woman I bought it from is a close friend, she did not want to really teach me because I was going to be her competition. And so I kind of snagged a lot of the business in the Wenatchee Valley because she lived about 20 miles away. And since then, there are now at least 20 people in our valley that have quilting machines. So the work has spread out a lot. But for 23 years, I have enjoyed every day of work. I love what I do. And it's always a challenge. Yesterday, I had a challenge. Um, but it also afforded me the ability to work from home. And at the time, my sister, who was paralyzed from a car accident, moved in with us to live out the rest of her life, which ended up being six years. And I was able to work from home, care for her, oversee her care, and uh, be at home with my teenage children. So it's just been a wonderful, wonderful addition to my life. 
I love hearing how it has just woven, quilting has just woven throughout the stories of your life. And, you know, you've been Mm -hmm. doing it for a long time, so you've had lots of opportunities to do that. There are younger quilters who, you know, are just new to to the hobby slash craft, but they find the same thing. It just pulls the threads of your life together and often the relationships in your life together. So because I'm a long armor too and and I'm nosy, tell me a little bit about your machine and what type of features it has or hasn't. Well, I have a 26-year-old Noltings. I love it because it's a workhorse. It's very stable, uh, but it has absolutely no bells and whistles. There's no regulated stitch. There's no needle up, needle down. Um, it just goes. You push the button and it goes. So you better know what speed you want to be doing that feathered pattern on or those pebbles. <laughs> and they, it changes. That is really remarkable, Jill. I'm familiar with these terms. I don't know if all of our listeners are, but no stitch regulator means that when you push the on button, you've, you have preset a speed, but that needle just starts going. And it's totally mm-hmm. up to you to move. And that determines the stitch length. Um, and all kinds of, you know, smoothness related issues. So there is a ton of skill. I can't overestimate the level of skill that is involved in quilting well when you do not have a stitch regulator. So I am all admiration. Oh, um, thank and years, you. And years and years of doing it, I know, have honed your skills very much. And you've been involved in teaching also, have you not, and passing on your skills? Yeah, I had the opportunity to teach for Gamel, Andrew and Michelle Weaver are close friends of mine, and they are from the Wenatchee Valley, and they now own the Gamel Company. And when they were um, located here, I started teaching for them to the the gals who would buy new machines. I got to teach them free motion um, and get them started, and somebody else would come in and teach the um, Statler Stitcher. So I've gotten to stitch on a lot of machines, and if I had lots of extra cash laying around I would buy a new machine with regulated stitch and all those things in a heartbeat but um, I'm kind of nearing not the end of my career but the end of needing those things and so me and my Noltine are just going to go to the grave together (laughs) I love that I love that you know I'm going to spend my money on fabric but yeah, I love teaching. I love seeing the lights go on in people when you show them how to do a pattern and uh, the path and the rhythm of it, and they get it, and they they go from folding laundry on their quilting table to actually using their machine and feeling confident. I just love doing that. Agreed. And I do think, as a little side note, I think there is something about stitching without that stitch regulator that does bring rhythm and smoothness and mm-hmm. everyone should at least try to learn that skill because it is it is remarkable how much easier quilting is in many ways. Just yeah, I always I always make them try it in class and I just say just ignore that sound and just stitch. Eventually you'll be able to see those stitches out of the corner of your eye and you'll be able to regulate them yourself, but initially just ignore it. Mhm. Agreed. So because you were saying that you were one of the very, very few initially long arm quilters um, in your area, how long did it take you practicing to become comfortable working on customer quilts? How many quilts? How much time? Uh, it took me a year um, because there was a lot of things to learn. I had to learn about loading and what 
method of loading I was comfortable with. I'm a pin baster. I pin baste the entire quilt on my machine before I start. That way I can move back and forth, um, changing colors and stuff. And um, I had to get comfortable with my machine and running it. It's not something that I had just barely started uh, free motion on my sit-down machine, and then I jumped right to the long arm. So I probably did maybe 10 or 20 quilts in that year to practice on. And I can remember ripping out an entire feathered border because I was too naive to know that I shouldn't do the entire border before I decide if I like it. <laughs> now I will just do a block and decide if I like it. But um, yeah, there was a lot of a lot of things to learn. And there wasn't as many people teaching. So I just kind of had to figure it out. That's and, very true. Um, Super true. Yeah. Because nowadays you can Google, you know, any topic about long arm quilting and find easily a couple dozen about basting or a couple dozen about trimming or a couple dozen about, you know, loading the quilt. But 25 or 30 years ago, that was just not as available, was it? No, uh -uh. there was Sherry's Long Arm University in Seattle, and um, that was pretty much it. So I love watching some of the young girls quilt. You can learn so much just from watching their rhythm and, you know, watching them quilt. So, yeah, no, none of that was around. I agree. And I'm kind of on the other end of that in that I, like you, love doing uh, freehand work. And I have started streaming a lot of my quilting sessions just because I think that's something not widely available is seeing it happening sort of in real time and including the thread breaks or the tension issues and how you work through decisions and all that sort of stuff. So I've started actually streaming that because I think that could be so beneficial to a newer quilter. I notice on Instagram that um, some of the posts that I do that get the most views are that exact thing. And I don't do a lot of it because I don't want to invest in the cameras to do that. Uh, like I said, I've got better things to do nowadays. But um, that seems to have a lot of interest. And I know when I'm teaching, one of the questions that I get a lot is, how do I decide what to put on my quilt? What designs? And so we work a lot with breaking the quilt down into spaces and I draw out a lot of things for people and show them, well, try this, try that, you know, look at what you can do with these simple designs, combining them together to make intricate designs. And um, that's a lot of fun to see them uh, gain that skill. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So what are some of your, what are some of the factors that you bring into those decisions when you're trying to decide what to quilt on a particular project? Oh, I usually look at the overall quilt and see what is the theme, you know, what era is it? Is it a colonial quilt? Is it a um, folky quilt? Is it a whimsical quilt? Does it have an occasion? Is it for a birthday or a male or female? I look at all those things and then I bring some design elements in and I usually break the quilt down into its spaces. If it's um, blocks, I'll go, okay, the blocks are one space, the lattice is another space, the borders are a third or fourth space and I'll decide what to do in those spaces and then I just go on autopilot and do it. If it's a modern quilt that has a lot of negative space, I try to um, kind of create some spaces within that to fill 
and then do some kind of a background fill around that. So it's not just all background fill, but there's like Krista Withers used to call them ghost spaces, things like that. And just to give your eye an interesting place to find different things on the quilt. Yes. So two kind of purposes from that. One is the viewer, when it's all finished, has, as you say, places for the eye to rest. But for the quilter, especially for the novice, that takes some of the intimidation out of it when you break it down into areas or spaces or have anchoring elements, right? Right. I always use the, for example, the Lone Star as an example that has big, huge, maybe 16-inch blocks in the corner and a 16-inch triangles. And I just say, just start dividing that down into smaller spaces until you get to the size of a space that you can fill. Put a design in there and repeat it or mirror image it, and pretty soon you have a really intricate-looking design. Good advice. Do you have, because you've made lots of quilts over the years, do you have any good advice on choosing fabrics that play well together? Because you've said that you like to do scrappy things and things from your stash. Give us some pointers toward pulling a quilt together. Oh, that's a hard one, Susan. Um, I tend to work in color families. I remember years ago when I saw a display of Mary Lou Weidman's quilts that were as busy as busy could be, and yet they worked. They didn't annoy me. They didn't put my teeth on edge, and I, I then took a class from her, and I figured out why they worked because she knows the color wheel like the back of her hand. Her dad was an artist and it is just ingrained in her. She doesn't even have to look at it. So I started studying the color wheel and learning about it and I stopped making as many mistakes with my quilts. I stopped making quilts that I did not like after they were done because I usually have some kind of a plan from the color wheel and then I go into my fabrics and I pull out all like if I'm going to work with magenta I'll pull out all the magenta fabrics um, because I like a lot of variety of fabrics I rarely work in solids I just can't get excited about that I love patterns and then I I pull out all the turquoises that I'm going to work with or something like that and all the grays and then I just go to work with what vision is in my head about how I want it to kind of look and I like it to be a surprise I have an idea but not an exact plan and I like that serendipity of how things end up on the design wall and kind of come together well you have just touched on my next question do you have um, strong feelings about using a design wall as opposed to just arranging things on the floor or on a tabletop I know some people say that really makes a difference in your kind of viewpoint seeing the big picture Yes, I wish that I had a larger design wall. My design wall is only about four five, four feet by four feet. That's all the room I have in my studio because it's full of boxes of luxurious fabric. Um, but I do like using it. I end up using the floor sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think if you can have a design wall, it's super fun to see things and to step back and to use your reducing glass or your camera and look at them and see how they're actually looking. All right. Well, gosh, you've inspired me to 
pull out my luxurious fabrics and start start playing in them again. I love hearing how other quilters pull their stashes and their scraps together because that's my style of quilting too. And as you say, there's always a surprise around the corner and it is so much fun to create with them. Yeah, you know, I have to give, maybe I'll give a little, not a tip, but how I shop for fabric. Um, I don't really ever need to shop for fabric again. I'm going to buy myself a little shopping toy shopping cart and just roll it around my studio and put fabric in it and get that same dopamine hit. But... <laughs> That, but when I do shop, that is a great idea, by the way. I think that should be, you know, head of the class for tips for quilters. <laughs> Get yourself a shopping cart. Um, but when I do shop, I usually go in with a plan like, okay, today I'm just, I need some grays. Or this weekend, I'm actually going to shop for some magenta because I realize I don't have enough and I really like that color right now. But um, I know that in the past, that people like to buy entire collections or something like that. But I, for me, I have found that those things sit in my sewing room and don't get used because they're so matchy matchy that they don't inspire me to um, be more creative with my own ideas and stuff. So I just tend to buy cool textured colors and things and put them in my stash you know colorized and then I can pull from them and use them I like to buy a lot of um, fabric from the thrift store bring it home wash it put it in my stash if I love the color of it um, I like to buy drapery fabric or clothing that is unusual in texture because I like to have different textures in my quilts so just some ideas those are great ideas Jill great ideas I think for so many quilters, that is a really um, an area of unsureness. You know, what shall I buy? How much shall I buy? And I think my advice would be don't go crazy buying until you have made some quilts and start to feel some sense for what you love creating with because some people do mm -hmm. love buying fabric lines and others like you and I prefer to mix and match and pull from a nice, good, cushy selection <laughs> in our mm. stash. Well, thank you so Absolutely. much for joining me today, Jill. This has been really a pleasure. Thank you, Susan. So we'll talk again thank sometime. Um, I will put in the show notes all the links to your website and these beautiful patterns that you have created and also the book that you mentioned that your partner, Jim, has written. So any parting comments you want to give to our listeners? No, I'll email you the, the link to Jim's book because I'm sure I didn't get it exactly right. Okay, but that would be helpful. No. And I'll... No, just keep on creating and experiment and have fun doing it. It's one of the best crafts I can think of that is just so meditative and, like you said, healing and creative. When I married my husband, he would say, why do you have to be doing something all the time? And I finally said to him, I'm an artist and I have to create. <laughs> well said. I have nothing to add to that. Thank you, Susan. Okay, thanks again, Jill, and we'll we'll chat again sometime. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning into the show. For information on classes I offer or quilting services, please see my website, stitchedbysusan.com. If you're a long-arm quilter and looking for freehand tips, take advantage of the live and unscripted episodes on my Facebook page, Stitched by Susan. Replays are also available on my YouTube channel, also Stitched by Susan. And if pictures are your preference, check out my Pinterest galleries of edge-to-edge -edge and custom quilting projects. 
So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.